I gave a friend of mine who was doing some uh, SF selection, I gave him some capsules to just try these. He rang me and said, oh, that amazing? He said it was like thoughts that swallowed a grenade. And I thought, oh, that was a great name. As a really copycat industry, and a lot of the other weight loss products at the time had very generic, medicinal-sounding names that you just wouldn't remember. I think that's a real definition of an entrepreneur, yeah, someone that's willing to sort of disrupt, not come in with a huge bank balance and actually make it work because they're hungry for it. Today we have a double helping with not just one secret leader but two, husband and wife team Alan and Juliet Barrett are the co-founders of this sports nutrition company, Grenade. I feel like you should do a... Yeah, we should go... I've never been referred to as a double helping before. No. Well, you know, you, you weren't specifically, you were a half of a double helping. I'm, half, I'm, yeah, I'm not even a full serving, I'm, I'm half a serving. I think it's better than sloppy seconds. Is that True. Yeah. You, you yeah. technically introduced as a single helping. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, after launching in 2010 with just £27 in the bank, Grenade was sold for £72 million last year. And a nice little reversal of the numbers there. Yes, uh, is good, that isn't how, it? Is that how you got to the number? No. Oh, yeah, see, so yeah, basically yeah, yeah. we had to hold out until someone paid 72 million exactly. or 72 billion, which was harder. Yeah, exactly. You're not, not quite as patient. Uh, that hasn't changed their growth now with over 50 staff and retailing in more than 80 countries around the world. Grenade is now the market-leading sports performance and active nutrition brand incorporating a wide range of innovative, high-protein and low-sugar products. Grenade has been named as one of the UK's fastest-growing companies and was featured in the Sunday Times Fast Track Top 100 for four years running five years running see that smooth transition i can read i just can't count okay without further ado guys welcome to the show hi thank you hi look to break the ice let's just crack on uh home or office uh home you don't have to have the same answer julia you might be like actually this is a quick fire okay home sure yes where you prefer to be Home office. All right. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought you meant, home office. I thought we were where we were home working office. from. Can I change my answer? Yeah. Home office. Yeah, home Not office. the home office. Yeah, I got you. My office at home. Yeah, Let's no, start again. No, no political ambitions for you. <laughs> no. Uh, is all edited, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, How hard can it be to work for the home office? You won't want to edit it, trust me. Uh, city or countryside? Uh, city. Country. Oh, okay. Uh, tea or coffee? Hot chocolate. Coffee. All right, you're trapped on a desert island. You can bring three things, and don't worry, neither of you are there. Okay, have we got batteries? That well, sounds really hard. <laughs> I meant power. Jesus power. Christ. God, that that, 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 that yeah. escalated as, quickly. As soon as we removed you from the equation. <laughs> my, yeah, that was the first thought. My mobile phone, yeah. a battery pack, because we obviously have no power, yep. and a good book. Okay. A good book because you wouldn't have downloaded them on your Kindle app I on your phone. I don't read off a Kindle. Fair. I only need two. I want to go Wi-Fi. Yeah. And dumbbells. Yeah, fair. Can I go for a full set of dumbbells and can I go for Wi-Fi and a computer? Otherwise, Wi-Fi on its own is not going to work. Okay. That's three uh, then. It is back to three. Juliet, how do you feel about Wi-Fi, not wife? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You can turn off Wi-Fi. True. This is very true. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're, harder you're to turn on. on your wife, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Batteries. <laughs> right, well, this has taken the perfect perfect route straight in. It's taken a very dark turn, hasn't yeah. it, to be honest, yeah, it's guys? fine. It's the middle of the day, guys. Keep it clean. Uh, most inspirational person to each of you? Uh, Richard Branson. Oh, well, I was going to go you. But see, see, seeing as you're... And you've already taken Richard. So I'm still going to go you. I think my wife's inspirational to me. Very nice. The next question was entrepreneurs you look up to, but I'm guessing same, same, not different. 
I actually admire anyone that's got the balls to start their own business. And I think the journey that you go through, whether you've got a small lifestyle business or a global business is the same. So hats off to anyone that's got the courage to do it. I think, yeah, any entrepreneur, as Jules said, but I think for, for me, it, it's got to be someone that started with nothing and created something, especially, I think, perhaps where it's not necessarily your specialised skill set. What do you mean by started with nothing, as in, you know, get, get so a real sense here? I think nowadays there's lots of people who want to be an entrepreneur, call themselves entrepreneurs, but then when you backtrack into it, they've probably had fairly a lot of help in terms of a head start perhaps yeah. they've had fairly affluent parents and sure, it's okay. a startup but they've never had any overheads yeah yeah They're, and they've been given millions of pounds to do it and there's quite a lot of people like that but i think if you've actually i mean we, we've always had a fire under us because we've had to make it work yep. and i think where you get a lot of investors well, a lot of businesses now that look for investors and we get asked about this a lot actually but they're looking for investment but if the business doesn't work it just it doesn't hurt them yep. and, and any business where they've just got no skin in the game and, and therefore we lose our money, but they don't lose their money. It doesn't work for us because yeah. you've got to have skin in the game. So it's a safety net, really. Yeah, yeah completely understand. Um, right, what's the least favourite part of your job? I'll go anything involving some form of paperwork. I just find anything with regard to large amounts of text, spreadsheets, just particularly laborious. I think, yeah, sitting in front of a desk is quite sort of demotivating because Sorry as entrepreneurs this. you want to sort of <laughs> go out there and create the brand yeah. um, I think when it becomes more about the numbers as opposed to the actual brands that, that's hard as well um, but also the fact that you never turn off so you never have that sort Unless of normal life of course or, yeah. Yeah. or Wi-Fi yeah, yeah. Um, so you never have that, you know, we never went on holiday and just went on holiday. We always went away and did work. Yeah, I agree. That That's hard, always having your eye on the brand. I mean, we don't know what it's like to... We've had businesses for years, so and I've always worked for myself so we don't really know what it's like to probably not work for yourself and then perhaps have a day off. So that's probably the hardest thing. We're used to it now, but... Before uh, beach holidays in Antigua seemed like a good idea and uh, you learned that they're definitely not. Where did you guys meet? You take this one. Well, you got the date wrong. Uh, no, I didn't get the today. date wrong. What, what date did we meet? Not what no, year. I did in, get the um, year wrong. In Birmingham in the Jam House. In the I Jam was, House? Yeah, what, what is like the Jam House? Bar, oh, okay. Jules Holland used to own it. We yeah. only ever went once. That was the first time for both of us and the last time for both yeah. of us, ironically. And it was something like three o'clock in the morning. I'd had a list of phone numbers. Clearly, I'd, I'd, I probably hadn't. Yeah, I'd not, I'd not worked hard enough. And it was, you were hammered, weren't you? You were drinking wine out of the bottle. And then I remember four o'clock in the morning, Jules put a jacket on inside out and then fell over a chair. And I obviously thought, she's a keeper. And I was offering to take pictures of groups of girls. <laughs> And I thought he's either a really Group nice guy pictures. or a You made that sound seedy. <laughs> you yeah, know when you're, like, you're out with your friends and one person's taking the photo and not in it? I literally asked. I said, do you want me to take the photo? Is what she means by that. Um, how quickly did you uh, end up in a relationship together? How quickly did you get married? Yeah, so we were engaged in five weeks and then married in nine months. I was tricked into the engagement, just yeah. for the record, seeing as it's been recorded. Okay. I was tricked. Yeah, we're gone. We missed Christmas because Jules was in Egypt. So then we had Christmas two, early January. So we let we kept. So Jules had got a Christmas in the UK. So we kept all the decorations and stuff up. And then for some reason, I think on on fake Christmas morning, which was like the second of January or something. For some reason, I remember us, us drinking. We don't drink, but for some reason, all these involved being drunk. And then um, we were just throwing sprouts into the bin from the other side of the kitchen. And you were just saying, I've got to forget this and you've got to do this. And if I get in there, again, it sounds really seedy, but we're throwing this stuff in. And then we were going further and further 
away. And then Jules hadn't been particularly good at it, so I was feeling fairly confident I could go fairly ballsy with the challenges. So I said, um, I said, yeah, if you get this one and we'll get engaged, all of a sudden she turns into Michael Jordan. So literally, she, let, she slam dunks this sprout into a bin from like 400 yards. Then she tells me that she used to play netball for England or something like that. I'm like, oh, I really should have known oh, that. Oh, that is a smooth move, no, Jules. Yeah. Know your enemy. Know yeah, your enemy. Very good. Okay. Man of my word, did it though. You did do it. Did and, it. And, and, you know, you stuck to the uh, forever part as well. This is, I'm assuming, a good few years ago at this point. How many years into this... Uh, loving new marriage yeah. did you guys start decide to start a business because you were running a business before Grenade weren't you yeah so I had a very sort of traditional background so schools education then I worked as the head of education for a national charity and did some work for like the sort of exam boards and the DFES um, and now had a distribution business before selling other people's products to gyms so we realised that I was working really hard for somebody else and I was working really hard for himself so we wanted to work really hard for us what were you doing uh, yeah so I've been self-employed since I was 11 pretty much because I'm unemployable so when I was 11 I used to get free cakes from Cadbury's who because they were going to throw them away because they were short dated and I used to get the free cakes and take them into school and sell them and when I got into trouble for that I used to so send them to pupils then I sold them to the teachers and then that was kind of the first business really then I've always worked for myself since then so worked in gyms and owned gyms and then the, the business talking about now is the distribution business I started in 1999 Jules and I met in 2003 there you go the correct date and then she came into that business in 2005 and then we ran that together but then we had the idea for grenade in 2006 then spent four years trademarking it and launched in 2010 i've heard this story before it's got to get a fair amount of focus now because someone who's creating a direct-to-consumer brand myself and we spent maybe a year in product development and packaging and all the rest of it i can't wait to get the product out like i'm dying after it. I think it's the right amount yeah. of time because we've done yeah. enough, you know, haven't rushed it and I've made sure so much customer feedback come in. But one year and four years is an entirely different thing. And I've never heard someone spend four years of patience when you have an idea and, you know, you guys all know the burning desire to get out there with your idea and stop talking about it and start showing people and letting them have it. You know, it's a very different thing. So Ju- take will, us through this. Jules will confirm patience is my forte. It is. Yeah, and tolerance. Yes, they have um, both in abundance. I think because we had a handover, well, we were obviously working with the in the other distribution business, and that was sort of full on. Then we sold that to friends, and we did a handover for a year. So we're sort of all or nothing people. So for us to actually sort of sell a business and do the handover, we wanted to give everything mm. we got to give them a, a fighting chance. Yeah. And again, you know, when we started Grenade, we knew that it was going to be all-consuming. Um, so, you know, things like the tooling for the grenade-shaped mould, that takes time, so you can't do that overnight. Yep. But I remember when we but did how decide... Long, how long is a tooling for a... Oh, that was like a year, that mm. was. Yeah, yeah, that was about a year. But it's because... basically been the hold-up on my mind. Everyone asked me, I'm like, it's taken like nine, ten months for moulding yeah. on the packaging, which sounds crazy, but a year's still a long time. Mm. But and, the, and the thing is, what, what do you do when you've got an idea for a great business, but you've already got a great business? So, as Jules said, we had to exit one to start the other, and that took a couple of years, as well as all the trademarking and stuff. And actually, when we sold the distribution business, we did retire... And then we got really bored. So I think we lasted six weeks. We were on holiday in Malaysia and we were in the pool and we thought we've just got to get back and do mm. Grenade now. And then it was full on. And we trade well. We've got, we accumulated now, notched in that four, first four years, but a lot subsequently over 200 design marks, trademarks and pending patents. So it just takes time. It's a very, very, very copycat industry. And I think if we'd have launched sooner, A, the market would have been quite ready because the fitness industry is growing all the time. So we'd have probably entered too early. 
and also we we didn't want to do it and not have the adequate trademark protection in place because I think we did for instance we, we managed to lock down the US and that's hard someone would have just copied it and and we, once that once those ideas and trademarks have gone you can't ever get them mm-hmm. still where did the name grenade come from and why that uh, so we actually we had the we had the formula for that waste weight loss product and again we sat on the formula for a couple of years thinking about how to brand it because as a really copycat industry and a lot of the other weight loss products at the time had very generic um, medicinal sounding names that you just wouldn't remember so we wanted to come up with a red bull of sports nutrition and we wanted to have a really iconic name and brand because we knew the capsule and the weight loss product was brilliant but just in some generic white bottle on the shelf it's going to sit with everything else so how do you get people to remember it and, and, and love it I think people love brand and not just product so um, we knew that it didn't matter what language you spoke you would yeah. know what the product was called by the shape of the container and we always wanted a global brand If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Let's just caveat this for a second, though, um, for any entrepreneurs that are listening that, you know, uh, have not, as, as I've been learning over the last year, you know, not had the experience to direct a consumer of tooling of all these things. It is a privilege of serial entrepreneurs. It's not your first time to say this is what we want it to look like and this is how we want it to be and have the patience and the time and definitely the financial resources to get, for example, bespoke tooling mm-hmm. for your own bottle. Because like you just said, Everything in the industry is off the shelf, in the white bottles, et cetera, et cetera. And I couldn't agree more. I've done exactly the same thing. 
but it's also you know it's not something a first-time entrepreneur could ever have the benefit of doing which again creates the moat around it but you'd need to basically have the money to do it but I think it's all about what your priorities are. Yep. So even though we had the sort of luxury, I guess, of having the money from the previous business, we put everything into Grenade. So we didn't have a day off for four years. We didn't take a salary. Um, you know, we weren't going on holiday. We haven't got kids, so we didn't have those commitments. So I think it's all to do with priorities. And if you want something bad enough, you can make it work. Yeah, and we like, we'd beg, borrow and steal to get Grenade off the ground. Mm. i tell you what I think the most important fact was actually was uh, wasn't it was actually the contacts that we had. So because we had a sports nutrition distribution business, a lot of our suppliers became our customers. So we knew their businesses pretty well because we'd been buying from them for eight or nine years. So we knew what they didn't have. So when we knew we'd get Grenade and we could sell it into them and we could tap into their network, I think that was actually quite powerful. So we'd got a lot of experience and contacts through there. And again, Grenade's an unusual business to be growing and have grown as quickly as it has in the sense that we've done it through retail. So we do a lot on Amazon and off grenade.com, obviously, but we're in every retailer in the UK you know, and beyond. I mean, 80 countries and retail from Canada all the way to India and, and Australia. That's actually been one of the hardest parts because Tesco, for instance, might have one range window per year. And if you don't get it in that year, you're waiting till the next year. Whereas at least a lot of fast-growing businesses now, if it is direct-to-consumer, it's all off their own website. And at least they know their consumer that way and they can just directly market them. But for us and having now what are primarily food products, you need retail. If you're hungry, you don't go online. You know, you're going into your local store. And to get into a store is hard because retailers don't have elastic shelves. And to put something into a store, something's coming out. So how do you get convinced retailers that you want to do that? So I think that's probably what makes the Grenade story special. I think if we'd just grown it online, we could have done it in twice the time. But the retail bit's been hard, and that's been the slowest part. What does it mean when you say it took four years? Can you give us a, a definition? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll clarify. So I know that trademark takes time. Yeah. I know the, the tooling takes time. Um, obviously, product development takes time, but more like a year, I'm assuming, than, than four what is the gap in between? Is it creating is it creating the the launch like mechanism through the retailers and getting that? Is it? I think it was just working really another to job. Understand, if it that was makes sense. because yeah. it wasn't our focus. So yeah. even though we started buying up the IP in two thousand six, it was almost just to to keep it safe until we decided to launch. Okay. So we actually thought Grenade would be a hobby, and like I said, you know, we did retire. So even though we'd protected the name and started to look at the tooling, we didn't actually know no, when we were well, going to do it or if we were going to do it. Okay, then I, I understand a bit because more. Like, this is part of the process in the background whilst yeah. also uh, Ex- exiting the previous and, business. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes so, so much when we. More. We sold okay. when we exited the last business and decided that Grenade was going to be what we did. We incorporated at the end of August 2009 and we'd launched in the UK by February 2010. So that was probably what, sort of six months? Yeah, so we sold our distribution business in the summer of 2008. And then because we sold it to friends and the business had always been us, we couldn't just walk away. And as Jules said, we wanted to make sure we had every chance of success because we already had a business that I mean we're only we're only the two of us we didn't employ anyone but as like a lifestyle business as a say one man band a two man band in this case we couldn't just walk away from all those gyms and, and suppliers because we'd, we'd, we'd built up again a business over eight years so um, we actually did a year a year handover for free to the guy that bought it from us so then so we were t- we were committed until the you know late summer the following year and as Jill said that then literally as soon as we walked away we incorporated the business and then we we went again but also because that was a weight loss product and as 
quite rightly says regulation around anything you ingest and dietary products you can't just make formulas and then start selling capsules in holland and barrett you've got to make sure you go through all the proper due diligence and certificates of analysis and combinations of what ingredients do and stuff and that takes time because we probably tried i know say for instance with our bars we'd go through 40 or 50 different variants and if you imagine if there's if there's a month between each variant which there will be there's two three years right there but I remember just before Christmas when we were getting the product contract packed, um, it was really running down to the wire and there were issues with the cardboard and, and all sorts. And we actually drove down to the contract packers and filled up the car with the first lot of product because we were that desperate to see it. Um, gave them a huge bottle of whiskey, didn't we, for, uh, for getting and, it done and before we sat Christmas. And so, packed product by hand. Yeah, so we were really sort of driven to get it to get it done when you first started what was your initial investment so if you don't mind my asking that is and if you do mind i'm still going to ask it uh you know you're, you've got you've got your your trademarking your website yeah a url phenomenal grenade.com um, well we actually didn't buy that until probably 2014 so because we only ever wanted one product it was on grenadefatburner.com okay uh, and then of course when we realized that we had other products we had to buy grenade.com so yeah that was a big expense yeah and i mean grenade fat burner was probably mm. 20 quid i mean we did it because we did it over years and as we could afford to do mm. stuff but the tooling for the bottle like, how much was that roughly because we just had a conversation i about think that this. ended up being about four grand five grand i think something i think like we that. put about 200 into the business to start it off from the sale of the previous business uh, yeah. Oh, that, that, was buy, that was by stock, though. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That, that, that bought some stock. But yeah, the tooling's about five grand because my dad's best friend uh, is a toolmaker. So, and he'd, he'd got no work. So, we were quite lucky. It's the only yeah, person my dad knows. So, it comes back to the point you've got to know the right people. Yep. And I think people always say, don't you, it's who you know, but it's actually it's how well you know them. So, we, we, rang, we rang him up out of the blue and said, you know, how's business, Jim and me, I'm Graham Barrett, so, and he said, oh, yeah, I do, business is terrible, we haven't taken a salary for two years, we're best about to close the doors, and all tool making has gone to India and China, and basically we give up. So we said, well, can we come and have a chat with you, because we've got a project you might be able to help us with, and he said, great, I've not, not, literally nothing else to do. And then, um, yeah, we went up and saw him, and, and again, he was really helpful, so again, he invested a lot of time for, for, for nothing, because he got nothing else to do, and then, but ten years later, he's still making those bottles. That's so, fantastic. That's such a nice story as well, yeah. of serendipity of uh, yep. saving a business by creating one as well. Yeah, I mean, now they employ 10 people. Um, they've got one customer, us. Yeah. Um, is, is that like an exclusive agreement now? With uh, He hasn't got time to do anything else, but um, it's... Yeah, he's, he's got he's got no time to really work with anyone else and doesn't really want to. So yeah. I think, to be fair, and, and one of the, the things that I think has been a real strength of, of Grenade is people have enjoyed working with Jules and I. So whether it's a supplier, a customer, the team... Um, if you just treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself, and and from a supply perspective, we're unusual because we'll probably be be someone's biggest account, we'll be the best payer, and we'll be the most fun. So that's really unusual that a supplier can actually have that because normally your biggest customer is the one that's the worst margin that doesn't pay and stuff. And I think, well, why does it have to be like that? Why can't we just... In fact, when we did the growth point deal, we got criticised for paying people quickly. But we're still using some of the same... Well, most of the same suppliers that yeah. we were from day one, and that's because they enjoy working with us, we enjoy working with them, and we just make it as easy as possible for them to deal with us. We do We do believe in... I think there's a lot of... And business people get a bad rap sometimes, I think, for just being hard-nosed and thinking about themselves, and that phrase, oh, business is business, or it's only business, I hate. Someone always says it's only business when they've done something shitty whereas actually why can't everyone do well in business and actually you know if our 
we don't go running around making nailing our suppliers' hats on for costs and stuff. Obviously, we need a, a keen deal representative of the size we are and what we buy now. But I want them to make money. If they don't make money, we're going to get a worse service. Then we can't make money, and so it just has to work for everyone. And we always believe that in the deals that we've done, there've been no losers. Totally. Okay, take us through the first product. You created a grenade fat burner. It's a powder, a weight loss product. Capsules. Uh, capsules, sorry. And I've read um, about the, uh, the sort of whether the grenade, the grenade name came from an experience um, from someone in the military. Yeah, that was, that was a friend of mine. So we had these capsules and then didn't really know what to, um, what to call them, as we said earlier, to, to try and protect the name and come up with something clever that was memorable. And then luckily for me, Jules is absolutely obsessed with the military. And whenever we go in, we're always watching the military channel and stuff like that. So I've absorbed bits of information over the years from her obsession with the military. And then I, I've got quite a few friends in the army and special forces and stuff. And I gave a friend of mine who was doing some SF selection, I gave him some capsules to just try these. And uh, he rang me and said, oh, is that... He said they were amazing. He said it was like I thought I'd swallowed a grenade, and I thought oh, that was a that was a great name. So, and I couldn't believe we could get that name because it was so simple. But the name was the easy bit, but the the bottle was the hard bit because yeah. getting the name just wasn't enough. I think anyone else would have been happy with that name, but that name on a generic white bottle would have just looked crap. How long does it take for you to uh, to to grow uh, that product? to a point where suddenly you realised your ambitions were much bigger than that, you know, because originally that's what you wanted to create and might calm down, semi-retirement, semi-not, and suddenly you're like, oh, ambition takes over again. Yeah, well, when we actually launched in Feb 2007, we were sat in Florida and we went with two wholesalers and we were looking at their sort of portals and realising that the product wasn't selling. Mm. So well, I it think, was, but not, but not, not as quickly as done. we wanted it to. And I think within... I don't know, we probably got back a week later and then we were right, right, we can't do this from wherever we are in the world, we need to crack on with it. So then it became an obsession. So we started to do everything. We did the trade shows, we did the magazines, we started to build an army of Grenade fans on, you know, social media was just taking off. So we started to build a, a Grenade sort of team. Um, we rocked up to the NEC in 2010 to Body Power, which was a, a fitness expo um, with a tank because we didn't have the budgets of the other big brands. So we drove a tank into the NEC. Um, which, which someone lent us. Yeah. Oh, a friend of mine who collects military vehicles mm. is more eccentric than I am. Oh. So yeah, he uh, he lent us his tank, and we just yeah. paid delivery, which again I think was four hundred and eighty quid each way at the time, mm. something like that. So for for nine hundred quid, we literally unreal. had a killer booth. Nine hundred quid to get a tank into the NEC. I, I think something we've always been. How good many at, people did you mow over that day? Well, no, we didn't. We set we set the smoke alarms yeah, off. Yeah, it was so, running so, on cooking oil. And yeah, all it was sorts. running. It was running on something, wasn't yeah. it? It was billowing smoke. Again, I think the ability to get people to do something for you that they don't necessarily need or want to do as an entrepreneur, I think is key because anyone can just go and pay for stuff. And if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. Um, I mean, I know even Jules mentioned about the adverts. We took adverts in magazines. But again, because we had got very little money, we convinced our retailers to go halves with us on the advert. So, and then we um, were paying them with product. Yeah, and then we paid them with product. So it, it was it's the only way we could get an advert out there just as cheaply as possible. So if it had been potentially a £1,000, for instance, for the ad back in the day, we probably got it down to a few hundred quid. It was just any way we could try and prove concept and reach consumers in a, in a fairly trackable way. And as long as they sold enough products to pay for their half of the advert which they could see that they'd done they were really happy so we were able to scale that and do more and more and more but yeah we couldn't have even taken out an advert in a in a fitness magazine at that time and do you think that's still possible today to entrepreneurs that are listening to i think so i think yeah, yeah. definitely i I, th I think so i just i mean if you 
I think that's a real definition of an entrepreneur, someone that's willing to sort of disrupt, not come in with a huge bank balance and actually make it work because they're hungry for it. The nice thing about disruption as well is why does it have to be expensive? Even now, the best stuff that we do, I think, as a brand is probably the cheapest. Cause, and, and generally, we don't really do fitness shows anymore. So we do the trade shows where we have to, where we've got certain customers, and, and, they're, and they're not really consumer-facing shows. But a lot of the big fitness shows, there's no real return on investment, we find. So we just try and find a cleverer ways to reach consumers in a way that they'll remember and, and try and create an experience. And I think as a brand, if you can create an experience and you can get that emotional connection with a consumer, it's just far more powerful than just, you know, handing out free stuff at a train station or, or whatever. So we just try and create events, really. So we never sponsor anything as Grenade. We'll always try and create our own events or our own content. Okay, take us through uh, product development cycle. Who comes up with the ideas? Where do they come from? Why do they exist? Who's the fucking genius? Go on then, Al. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I have to but... say he's a genius. Um, As a quote, unquote, genius. I think because we've got very different skills, it just works. So what are your does... skills? Um, That's a good I'm, question. I'm really good at tennis. Yeah. Good. <laughs> um, Relatable to the business. Yeah. Yeah. When you hang out and on Necker Island with Richard Branson, that's going to be useful. Yeah. Though. Yeah, I but nearly beat him. She did nearly beat him. It wasn't quite good enough to beat him. He's, he's, he's a very canny tennis yeah, player, is. to be fair. So I'd always done NPD, like the new product development and sales. And then Jules did branding and marketing and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we split it. And I suppose those were our core skills and still are, really. And then as we've expanded the team, um, you find that you always have a light touch on everything but then you do get teams that can help with production and product development and marketing assistance and social media and stuff like that so but you know back in the days that's how we split it um 50 50 so my background had always been creating product and, and formulas and sports nutrition because I, I trained since i was like 14 years old so you don't train for 28 29 years and, and try product and not pick stuff up and i've got quite a few friends of mine who are good with biochemistry and product and ingredient suppliers stuff so again it's quite a time consuming process and it's not something that i learned traditionally how to do but i think with trial and error and wanting to get the best of something it's it's certainly very doable so uh, yeah we started off with our fat burner product and then the second product and we only have, we were only ever launched one product remember so but then it did so well um, that customers and, and retailers were asking us for more. So we did a pre-workout. So we did 50 Calibre, which is our pre-workout powder. And all these products still still extremely well today. We've never changed the formula. It's still the original hard-hitting formulas. They've never been beaten in terms of formulation. So probably eight, nine years ahead of their time. Uh, and they're still the best products in the class today. Just refined really flavours. And... Yeah, we changed flavours or something, but otherwise the, the product's the same. We ended up with a kind of a stable of sports nutrition products, so probably about six to eight products. But then the, the, the real key one was, and I think the, the most important factor with the business to date was around about 2013. We'd been going three years at that point, and we realised that we didn't just want to be a, we didn't want to be a big sports nutrition brand because the sports nutrition category wasn't really that big. And all the places that we could be we already were and we were number one and there was nowhere else to go so we'd already got the Nutricenters, the gncs the holland and barrett's amazon online and that was it we thought well you know we said we want to be the red bull of sports nutrition we can't put fat burners and pre-workouts in petrol stations so we'd started we'd already been formulating the bars spent two years formulating our, our carb killer bars and from 2013 to 2015 was all the formulation and again it had never been done before in terms of people putting protein bars that tasted like confectionery bars in mass market locations and 
as I said before, really, the way you, of getting a, a new product onto a shelf, that Shell, for instance, or BP, is pretty much impossible because you're, you're competing with Kellogg's and Cadbury's and Mars. But we, when we did our first growth point deal, private equity deal in 2014, they owned a 1% share of Rontec. Rontec is a petrol station chain that at the time had 500 petrol stations. So we went with those guys to get the intro to Rontec to get a trial in petrol stations. And we did that deal and Rontec gave us one petrol station to try it and it did well. And then they gave us two and then they gave us 10 and then it was 20 and then it was 50 and we proved the concept through hand-to-hand combat we call it and then that's gone now to probably 10,000 petrol stations in the UK so we just had to prove that concept and, and, and get, get the product out there. That's great. It's also good to get some real insight from entrepreneurs that have done it on just how hard it is to get into those places, right? Distribution is just unbelievably hard. It is mm. and not only that but we faced the challenge that the category didn't exist yeah. so we were almost creating this sort of healthier snacking sort of protein chocolate category so it wasn't as easy as going in with like a shampoo where that was mm. a very established well, category. This is sort of what I was going to say but obviously you might reach around the table and smack me in the face for my blasphemy but as I understand the product you know it's not really a healthy product no. It's just it's healthier, it's healthier. It's healthier than yeah. the chocolate bar. Yeah definitely. You know I like, I'm someone who on a personal level, like I mostly eat healthy stuff, but mm-hmm. I also will have my vices and I'll eat chocolate. And then it's like, if I'm having one of those days, it's better than eating yeah. that. But it's not well, like something I would have as a health yeah. alternative. I mean, we've never marked it as a healthy snack. We've said yeah. healthier mm. and we've never pigeonholed ourselves as any type of brand. So, for example, Atkins is very low carb. Then you've got the vegan ones and, you know, the low sugar ones. So we try to appeal to as many people as possible. And this is what you mean by creating a new category, right? The healthier bad snack as in healthier like you know naughty snack the thing that you want to reach for because you're having one of those days um a healthier version of that just didn't exist exist. what's the point of it and also the whole brand positioning is the fact that life's so short just don't be bloody miserable just have something that you like Mm. because we wanted it to taste like a proper confectionery bar so you know don't take yourself too seriously a massive you know feminist vegan yeah, that's me. <laughs> the, the two words we always use to sum her up. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, vegan. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, came out real quick as well. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, though, as well, with chocolate, and I like chocolate, and it's because I like chocolate we invented that bar because I wanted to have something that tasted like chocolate, but that had 95% less sugar. Yeah. So sugar's the enemy, really. And it depends how you define health because it might be too many calories. You know, you'd get fat on broccoli if you're just sitting at broccoli all day. So nothing's healthy in excess, but... Our mission's always really been to, to disrupt that confectionery industry because it's huge and it hasn't been disrupted for 50 years and try and get people off a chocolate bar and just onto something that's just a better choice that they're going to enjoy like a chocolate bar. And that's key because a lot of the, in inverted commas, healthy products aren't as healthy as they're made out to be. And actually, a lot of them just taste like stale dog turds. So consumers just don't enjoy eating them. So if you're not going to enjoy a treat, what's the point? You might as well just go and have a chocolate bar. Talk to me about funding rounds. Yes. Okay. So how did you fund the business? We talked about the original investment was from yourselves of 200 grand. When's the next time you had to take funding? Why? What was the plan? And how did you get towards the exit? I Isn't mean, it? we didn't have to take funding. Um, the reason we had investment from Grove Point in 2014 was the fact that it was our 
an eye and everything was on the line. So we almost did that to de-risk a little bit. But there was a sort of quote when we did the deal was basically we had a cream egg or you had about four. I, I had think. about four cream eggs. And then we- Sugar is the enemy, Al. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, at that point, though, that was 2014. We hadn't invented the bar. Yeah, so exactly. I and didn't have an alternative, just a created one. And as often said that in 2014, sugar wasn't the enemy. Mm. Exactly. So, that is a well-known. Yeah, yeah. Really and donut yellow snow. So you've got a third, third piece of advice for the next intern that You're comes welcome. in. You're welcome. So it was almost, you know, we just cracked on. We know we got straight back to work the next day. So it was almost just de-risk a little bit and then press a reset button and go again. It was a hard decision. We nearly didn't do it. And I think the the, the petrol station Rontech piece really helped us. That was the clincher because without them probably having that character dangle, I don't think we'd have done it. Because investors and entrepreneurs are very often chalk and cheese. You'll probably know that. It's two completely different skill sets. So to find someone you can work with and understand each other is quite difficult. So we should also said we never needed the money both personally or for the business. But when we did the Growth Point deal, we hadn't had a day off for four years. We hadn't taken a salary. And everyone was saying, what's the point? What are you doing it for? And we didn't really realise the business was valuable because it just hadn't really occurred to us. So when someone comes in and there's £35 million there and they want to work with you, and as Jules said, you can de-risk and you can actually have something to show for the hard work you've put in, and then you can hit the reset button and go again. It's really hard to turn it down. Um, so, so how does that deal structure? So it's £35 million of investment? No, it was literally the business was valued, the, the enterprise value was £35 million, right. and then we sold about 60% of our shares, but then we had ratchets where we, we could earn some shares back. But it was broadly... 50-50 but we were just in the minority um, to growth point so and then we did exactly that we hit the reset button go again I wanted to do protein bars they didn't we did it anyway the protein bars took off but did extremely well other investment they exited in 2017 Line Capital came in valued the business at 72 million we did the same again we rolled some shares we sold some shares we hit the reset button carried on and then that's where we are and then there'll be another exit at some point in the future I, you know, I guess it might be a year, 10 years, I don't know. But all we do is we just try and make good decisions for the brand and just keep doing what we're hopefully good at. I mean, the way you describe it, it it just does sound like an incredibly sensible and practical way to keep falling in love and make sure that everything's aligned. Mm. Yes. You know, so this is the thing. We've had, obviously, so many guests on the show now and burnout is just the most common thing, of course, because you just forget to enjoy it mm. and it's lonely take stock it's lonely yeah and, and actually I mean we, you guys are obviously lucky you know you're a second second guess that we've had that you know in a married couple Mr and Mrs Smith ironically with the name um, you know being the other one but it's so rare to have that and I, I'm assuming but please tell me you know the support that you get from the compassion and understanding without even speaking again two words very often used to describe myself compassionate yeah. and understanding yeah, yeah. Mm. um and we mental. always say it's the best and the worst thing so it's great because you know there's nobody that understands it like your partner because they're in it with you but also it's the worst thing because you never switch off so we used to go home and just talk about the business and it's 24 7 and if one of us had had a bad day it suddenly became a bad night at home and it's just all consuming so we never really had that work-life balance which I think you would get if you had a partner that wasn't in the same business as you and you could talk about other stuff. So I completely understand that but on the basis of um, you know purpose and fulfillment and being happy neither of you seem like the type of people that would even if you were with different partners anyway have that work-life balance so to speak you kind of seem like you're all in on passions we've yeah, both definitely. had workaholic backgrounds haven't we both yeah. our, our parents were workaholics yeah. i mean all my family they were heavy goods vehicle mechanics my family were so they all had uh, quite a, a very laborious heavy 
arduous job that was very low pay and I'd got no interest in how things work I'm just I'm just not mechanically minded so I was never going to go into that family business of, of being a heavy goods vehicle mechanic and um, yeah my granddad went blind and still went to work my uncle had a stroke and still went to work my dad just all they'd done was just work 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 they'd never really made any money and they'd never enjoyed it so I think something we wanted to do was we were always going to work hard but we wanted to enjoy it and then we wanted to make money otherwise it would just be what's the point and obviously, you know, being really practical, you sacrifice things along the way. I mean, you mentioned you don't have any kids. Do you consider that a sacrifice or an active choice? Do you think you would have done that anyway, that choice? Um, I think it's all a choice and I wouldn't change anything. But people do sometimes look at you and think, oh, you know, they've got such a wonderful life and all this stuff that they've got. But they don't see what happens to get that stuff. Nobody made us do anything. It was completely our choice. And, you know, when we sat on our own in the next sort of 20 years, like with no kids, then we'll probably think, do you know what? We should have had them. But, you know, at least we can have the heating on or... Yeah, you know. and also with the amount of kids you're going to mentor, it'd be like having children around anyway. Oh, we'll, we'll be fighting off kids. Yeah, exactly. Literally. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Maybe, maybe cut that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the... And, and yeah, that, it would know. sound a lot healthier if Jules had said it. Yeah. It would have, would have like yeah, most of the things you said. Yeah. Like, like just about everything every time I open my mouth. Yeah. Um, ooh, that sounded wrong as well. Actually, it would have sounded better than if Jules said it that time. <laughs> not, not if I'm a vegan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. We need to do an, need to do an outtakes one. But yeah, as Jules said, really, that was a that was a. I think it was probably a conscious choice. We were just so busy working, it never really occurred to us. And. Again, as as Jules said, the we've got a lot of people look at us who I think, certainly in terms of material things, wish they had things that we have. But it's material stuff. But then again, they don't realise that we have no time. Yep. So and they've perhaps got lots of time. And then we look at them and they've got kids and they go and do stuff with the kids and then we can't do that. So I don't know anyone really who's got the perfect worth like balance. If you've made money, you've sacrificed time. If you've got time, you've probably made no money. Or you've made money and got time, but you're 80, so therefore you don't have time. I just think it's what's important to you. So I've got, you know, one of three girls. One of my sisters is a lawyer. The other one's a doctor. The other one's an academic. You know, she decides to have... Okay, all right, maths wasn't my strong point. I'm good at making stuff look pretty. You're such an arse. <laughs> yeah, so they've, you know, they've got completely different lives. You know, one has got six kids and absolutely loves a family and, like, the other one's a top-shot lawyer and uh, had kids really late on. So I think as long as you know you've made the right decision, you can cope with. What do you actually do for downtime? Go on the running machine, go to the gym a lot. Yeah. Um, that's really important. Hashtag beyond brand. Yes, of course. Um, I've I've always trained. So and I um I was in a plane crash twenty odd years ago. And after that, I thought it'd be a good idea to learn to fly. I wasn't flying when I had the plane crash, but so I subsequently went to learn to fly. And then I um passed my pilot's license. Oh, in two thousand and one, I think it was. And then didn't fly for eighteen years because I just got bored of it and I could do it. And I thought I'll go and do something else. And then I revalidated that a couple of years ago, and I've got. Uh, better at that I'm not going to say I'm good at it but I've got mm. better at it so I bought a plane and fly and I, I really enjoy that And it, but it, the, these are all things that we kind of have to train because we're in health and fitness so it's, it is downtime but it's also part of the job and it's on brand yeah it is on brand and, and just about everyone that w- works for us trains um, and I think if we fly we'll generally fly somewhere to do the business so we don't just fly places just for the sake of yeah, flying places so we did yeah, yeah yeah, it's very easy landing a yeah, plane yeah, on Oxford. a helipad on top um, yeah down Oxford Street <laughs> Um 
so uh, yeah, I fly, and then yeah, we like watching films and TV. Weekends away and have okay. a bit of sort of time at the weekends. And it's now we're human. Got, it's hard yeah, to do. And now we've got such a great team at Grenade. You know, the highs are higher and the lows are less low. Sure. Um, and they're all phenomenal. Yeah, I must admit that's the best thing about having a superb team is it does it does share the the pain. So although it sometimes feels a bit lonely, as Jules said, there's there's 50, 60 people there that, that care like we care. So if something goes wrong or, or doesn't work as well as planned, there's a lot of people there to spread the burden. So yeah. it doesn't just feel like it, it's us. I mean, we were working Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, deliveries were going wrong. You know, we, we were just, if something went wrong, it was literally on us. At least yeah. now if something goes wrong, we can, it might still be on us, but we can still delegate stuff and hopefully it's it's not as bad. Okay, last question for both Thank of you. Thank God for that. Individually, I know, I'm just going to draw this shit out. <laughs> Um, okay, what's the best piece of advice you could give to other entrepreneurs and listeners? I think generally you've got to be yourself. And I think really work, and this doesn't apply to me clearly, but I think just working on your personality, the importance of personality in business, personality gets you a long, long, long way. I just don't think qualifications are important unless you want to be a lawyer or a pilot, in which case you might want one or two. But, you know, didn't go to university, don't really believe in it. And I think if you can get on with people and people like you and want to do stuff for you, and you'll just you'll be fighting off opportunities your whole life and and there's a real lack of personality in this world so it's and a it, cult and it, of authenticity yeah definitely yeah, definitely um, a, a what of authenticity cult. like a cult of authenticity oh, a cult. that's funny i thought i thought we just taken a very dark turn then the he's just got it but yeah and just being yourself and just that gut instinct it's really rare if we think we have an, an immediate opinion on something um, it's usually right. And I think learning to trust, that's important, to yep. be honest. And I've remembered, just don't do it to make money. Yeah, don't money's ever irrelevant. start a business to make money. Do it for the journey. Have fun and be um, yourself. Definitely. Um, and, that, and, and just and get shit done. Yeah, That does put us off investing in lots of business where mm. they just want to make money. Because actually, that wouldn't be in our top five motivating factors. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there somewhere. But I don't think it should be in your top five. I think it should be being yourself, having fun, disrupting, doing what you enjoy, following your dream solving uh, yeah, a problem yeah exactly solving problems that clearly exist not the ones that don't exist um, and if you can make money along the way brilliant and there's generally a way of doing it and I think if you just set out to make money I, I don't tend to find they're the best businesses what a beautiful way to end guys been amazing Alan and Jules thank you very much sharing the story of Grenade on Secret Leaders you had fun thank you we have actually yeah yeah. it was exactly what we thought it would be yeah. utter shite here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. That concludes a fantastic episode with an awesome couple of entrepreneurs. Now, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in the new year with a second half of the series. We don't want to give too much away, but we've got an absolutely star-packed lineup, including the founders of some of the biggest brands out there, such as Deliveroo, FabFitFun, and even one of the world's best-known philosophers, Alain de Botton, the founder of the School of Life. From everyone at Secret Leaders, we wish you happy holidays. And finally, don't forget to follow us on social at Secret Leaders or at Dan. And Murray Serta. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a cheeky review if you're feeling generous. It's the Christmas period after all. Tune in.
or you'll miss out. Have a lovely end of the year and a brilliant end to the decade. We'll see you in 2020.